Hello to you and welcome to the Jewellers Podcast. Uh, this month we are in Canberra and we are talking to two handmakers and we're going to talk about how to promote handmakes and how to get yourself out there as a brand of a, of a handmaker and things like that. Uh, we have found two fabulous handmakers in Canberra. We have found Ben Preston Black. Hello, Ben. Hello, how are you going? Hello, good. And we've also got Harry Rose. Hi, Harry. Good afternoon. Uh, so, Ben, you have just come back from the uh, jewellery fair in Sydney. Yes. Yeah. And, and how did you go down there? What were you up to? Uh, yeah, I uh, went to the um, JDA Awards Night that was being held on the Saturday night. Unfortunately, I didn't make it to the JA Awards Night, which was on the Friday night. Um, I was coming back from overseas. I would have loved to have gone to that um, as I was the judge for it the month before. Um, but look, yeah, I went to the Awards Night, had two pieces in and came away with a win for the Gemstone category, which was awesome. Fabulous. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was always, it's good to go down there. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to make it to the fair because I had to come back home to the family and kids. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was a good trip. So do you find that these um, competitions are an integral part of your business? Uh, do you do it for the promotion? Do you do it for the love? Is it a bit of both? And how does that work with each other? Yeah, it's definitely definitely a bit of both. Um, I've always, I mean, since I was an apprentice, I've been going comps and um, always chosen to do it to push and motivate myself, but also to uh, really create an image for the shop and the workshop and the type of work we do. Um, you know, we, as jewellers, we're really interested in doing, um, you know, more dynamic and interesting and sort of um, new kind of work. And that's how, that's how we do it. Um, by, by making competition pieces, you have to be new and innovative. Um, and then when your customers see you do that kind of work, you attract that type of person that wants to see that innovative type of work um, for themselves. Yeah, so it sort of all goes hand in hand. But there's a lot of work behind the scenes as well because you can enter these competitions and it kind of gets lost in the ether slightly when you've made something and you haven't sort of put much promotion elsewhere. What what sort of things are you doing behind the scenes? Well, you, you've always got to capitalise on it. That's why, that's why you do it. You know, you do invest a lot of money in these pieces and if you just make the piece <clears throat> and you put it in the safe and no one sees it then obviously yeah you're gonna you're gonna get lost there um, but you know it is you do have to um, you know display it in the cabinet try and um, you know I've been lucky to have been a finalist in pretty much all of the ones I've gone in so um, just being a finalist um, is enough for people to you know um, give you credit there and you know quite often they think you've won even if you've just been a finalist so um, so yeah so people people do you know do sort of are interested in in that side of things as far as just being um, involved in the competitions for sure. And Harry what I've noticed from your work you you uh, detail much more in the progress of your handmakes to for promotion is that just uh, jeweler to jeweler or do you do that for your audience as well um it's basically a couple of levels it's selling the strong point of my business i think there's a shrinking market of quality handmakers out there and by sharing the, the entire process um it educates a lot of customers and you, you get direct feedback from people coming in from seeing instagram because they can see the, the whole pro, progress being made. And are these people who uh, don't know too much about handmakes and then they see it and they're like, oh, there's work being done behind <laughs> this shiny ring that's come out of nowhere? Or is it is it people who know that there's lots of work in handmakes and they're looking for somebody who can prove that to them? Both, I think. Like, there's a lot of guys out there looking for engagement ring and... We all know they've got no idea where to start or what they want and a lot of them start to do their own research and then when they can see this whole other aspect to it, then you're opening up a whole other um, idea in their mind. They go, wow, there's this fantastic idea that I can get it handmade, I can see this, this progress happening. Then it gives you a, a huge point of difference from 99% of the other stuff on the market. Once they start to look into it, they go, wow, this is totally different. 
So, so these are customers that are not looking for the cheapest. Definitely not. Definitely not. And what sort of things are, are, are they looking for? Where, what do you reckon the process is of of somebody working out what quality they need and how they're going to get it and what's involved in that, do you think? I think they're just looking for something good quality, uh, unique and individual and personalised, essentially. And we are also here with Neil Polar from good old Sydney. How you doing, Neil? Good, thanks, Linz. <laughs> nice to see you again. And uh, you're going to ask these guys a few questions. Sure. Um, you know, I'm always lurking around in the background with this <laughs> podcast, so may as well do some work. Um, so, guys, we've been talking about hand makes. Um, how do you go about educating consumers about a hand make versus something that's factory made or a casting? Uh, what do you do to get that message across about the differences. We'll start with you, Ben. Yeah, cool. So I guess um, massive advantage for us is that our workshop is in the retail space um, where the customers can actually see what we're doing. So you can just point in the window and point to the rollers, see that's where the metal goes through. It's rolled, it gets harder and harder as it goes through the rollers. It's forged metal, it's not cast. You know, and you talk about the ring being heavier than what a cast ring would be. Um, so if you've got more metal, it's going to last longer. Um, you can go through all these ins and outs and the technicality of it all. But at the end of the day, most of our customers actually get it already. You know, like a lot of them come in going, I want a handmade piece. And they look at the finished items in the cabinets and they go, wow, these are handmade and they're finished so precisely. This is really impressive. Um, and they put it in their hand and they feel it and they feel it's heavier. You know, all these little things make a big difference. And, you know, customers actually do know a lot more than what we think. As jewellers, you know, we're very particular about how a ring should look, how, how the line should go, how the finish should be. And a lot of customers can pick up a ring and see that same thing. You know, so many times people pick up our pieces and go, oh, look, that's polished perfectly, or that's so straight there, or that's, I like how you finish that there, almost like they're actually a jeweler themselves. So sometimes you've got to give your customers a bit more credit and, you know, realise they actually do know what they're doing. And a lot of our customers are already designers and makers in their own industries, so they can totally relate to what, to what we're doing. And that's really what we're focusing towards that type of customer. Harry, is there anything that you do to... Uh, educate your clients so you find that um, they tend to come and find you for hand makes uh, well similar to Ben like I don't have any stock it's just an open workshop at all people just come down sit at a counter so by walking in the door they know that they're going to be getting a, a product made rather than buying something off the shelf so if they've come that far already they're pretty well educated So, uh, Ben, you said that certain uh, people from industries, other than, like maker industries, come to you. What kind of industries were you talking about? Uh, furniture makers, architects, fashion designers, graphic designers, engineers, all those type of people. Yeah. And, and these are people who are finding you or are you finding them? Uh, a lot of the time they find us um, through through social media, probably, um, through the last... I mean, we've been on social media only for the last three years, maybe, I think. Um, so, yeah, through social media, I mean, those people are pretty into Instagram and stuff like that, so they're finding us that way. And obviously, you know, Google, they're going to look up, you know, jewellers in Canberra that, that hand make or jewellery design in Canberra, and they find us that way. Um, and, look, Canberra is a small place, you know, um, you know, they do see the jewellery on people around and you know, usually the amount of times people say to us, oh, is that, is that a creations piece, you know, um, and and then they come in and see it. So word of the old word of mouth is really, really strong in Canberra and obviously the new word of mouth being social media is really strong as well. So if you can actually have both of those, um, you know, it's a pretty good mix. And what what are the selling points in your eyes? of handmade jewellery? Uh, well, obviously it's quality, but it's originality in design really as well. Point of difference in design. That's our biggest strong point. It's always been our main focus to not 
try and do what people find on, in the first 10 pictures on Google when they search diamond ring. You know, we want people to come into our shop and say, oh, I've been looking for an interesting design on Google, didn't find anything, then they look in the cabinet and they find something that they like that they've never seen before. So already you've 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 got them in, and that's the massive advantage. So yeah, looking in your in the window, there's a few th- pieces that that appeal to me, and, and uh, sometimes going to jewelry shops, I don't necessarily see that. So, so there was there's something for everyone. So there's an in point almost. We have to like we're the type of shop where we can't just be a diamond jewelry shop. You know, we're in Canberra. Um, we don't have a massive population here, so we have to. We, as a retail shop, we have to be able to cover a big market. You know, we have we have um, you know jewelry in the shop from hundred dollars to sky's the limit. You know, so uh, we we really do cover everybody. We have to be kind of like that country jeweler that has everything, but also give an image that everything's high quality and the majority of the stuff is made in house, which it is. Um, and that's something that we've been working towards as well for the last 25 years, working towards having the majority of the stuff handmade. Probably about 70 of the 70% of the stuff on the shelf is made by us. Yeah. And what about you, Harry? What would you say are your sort of key selling points for handmade jewellery? I think just listening to the customer and doing your utmost to give them what they want. There's so much out there. Um, that's been pushed on people you should have this you should have that but if you actually stop and listen to people what they want and what they don't want like it's probably equally important yeah you can start to get a, a pretty good indication of what they actually want then you can can figure out how you're going to provide that and then make something that's going to suit them and then everyone will be happy we're we're talking about hand makes and there does seem to be a little bit of conjecture within the trade as to what qualifies as a hand make. Um, so let me ask... That's a mystery, is it? <laughs> um, I, I would personally think it's not a mystery, but I have heard from... Um, I have heard a few different definitions from a few different people. So what do you guys think about... Um, so obviously what we've been discussing so far is items that are forged... Um, in the workshop, what do you guys feel about, say, hand-carved wax that's then finished, uh, cast and finished and assembled by hand? Do uh, do you have an opinion on whether that constitutes a hand make or not? Well, yeah, obviously there's going to be a lot of grey area, and yeah, I mean the hand-carved wax is a big thing. I mean it's not, it's still done by hand, it's but it's just it's made out of wax. So I, I would still. I would still call that a hand make, but it's not a hand forged ring. I mean, you're not going to, with a customer, you're not really going to get into all the ins and outs. Sometimes they'll say to me, oh, you're going to make a wax with this? And I'll go, no, no, this is going to be made out of out of metal. It's going to be forged. The whole thing's going to be handmade. Sometimes they, they'll ask you, are you going to make a wax? And it might happen be that we will make the shank out of wax and we're going to hand make all the settings. You tell them, yeah, we're going to hand, we're going to hand carve a wax. But... Yeah, um, I think it's still handmade because uh, handmade doesn't mean it's forged. It has to be hand forged. So I guess yeah, when you throw the wax in there, that's probably the only difference I reckon. And I, I guess that's where the progress pictures come in handy, so people can actually see what's going on and that it's forged as opposed to. Yeah, well, I think you'd have the same example with the wax as well if you did want to promote the progress pictures because people could see you carving this this piece from a solid block of wax if that's the way um, that you're going to make that piece Um, personally all my stuff's forged and you get some crazy requests and you're like you're going to be so much better getting this catted or or cast they're like just forge it and you're like all right i'll do it and then you find yourself like soldering like 200 claws on this thing and being like they want it so i i have actually seen some photos you've posted of 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 jobs where there's been crazy amounts of uh labor and cutting and joining and um i gotta say that you're a far more patient man than me yeah well if they're happy to if they're happy to pay for it give them what they want like i'm not I'm not going to argue with them. I think a lot of people get sick of 
these mistruths and being told what they can and can't do. Also, like in handmake, it's going to cost you four times as much as if you get it mm. catted. And they say, "All right, yeah, well, lucky I said four times as much because it's going to take me a week." Um, but yeah, if you're just up front, I don't, I don't think there has to be this definite line in the sand. Like, what is a handmade? You're never going to, like Ben said before, there's such a grey area. I think if you're just transparent about the whole process, you can say what you're doing here, same with all the social media, post pics that you're doing, that sort of thing. Um, be upfront with people, give credit. If you're getting a setter to do parts of it, give credit there, etc. As long as you're transparent and you're not sort of brushing over the details, saying, yeah, no, no, that's, that's handmade, when you're probably not being entirely honest. I think that's more the issue than what defines a handmake. I think if you're transparent across the process, then there'll be no issues. If if you've got to try and fake your way through anything with a customer, you're going to come unstuck somewhere, and and you know sort of not being able to be honest to your customers um, is is really no way to ethically run things. So that's why we've chosen to really have the jewelers we have and hand make the stuff that we hand make because we can say to the customers, this is handmade. They can see it on our Instagram page. They can see their ring being made. They can see the progress shots. They can see that. So so that's the choice that, that we made. Um, not everyone, I can't speak for anybody else, but um, you know, it's, it's very tempting to tell everybody that everything's handmade, you know, but, but you've got to be able to stand by it, you know, at the end of the day, yeah. Guys, what do you find in terms of your tools in the workshop? What is your most useful tool? The one that you could never do without? You're laughing, Ben, so there must be something. I was going to say it's the five other jewelers I work with. Um, you know, they, those guys, it's the people that make the stuff, really. I mean, you've got, you can have all the tools that you want but at the end of the day you don't really need you only need the minimum amount of tools it's the it's the actual people that do it but it's physical tools I'll get in there first it's definitely the laser um you know the laser (laughs) the laser has yeah changed like the level of production for us not so much the quality but the speed that it's done in and also just the ability uh, of what you can do for your hand making not not talking repairs or anything like that because we actually don't we rarely use the laser for repairs um, it's it's basically all the hand making so much quicker yeah so it saves you all of the time playing around trying to get things in position to solder them you can tack it together with the laser and then either follow through welding it with the laser or, or or solder from the tack. That's exactly right. Like a lot of the pieces like that I do myself, um, I actually don't really know what it's going to be until I've kind of get well into it. So I just start off with metal and start putting it together and making parts, putting it together. And I'll, that'll be a really, really quick process. It's almost like getting cardboard and cutting it up and just sticking it together with glue. I'll do that with metal. So you kind of just mock, every, mock, it up, mock everything up really quickly with metal, tack it all together with a laser and go, that looks really good, and then pull everything apart and clean up everything how it should be done from the start and then just put it all back together again. Like, And sometimes, you know, if you, if you didn't have the laser, you know, you just... It's really stressful process that that is, but because um, you don't know what's further on. But with the laser, you don't have to worry about it. You just tack it all together, and you can just pull back apart, reposition it, change it, just like you said, and then just solder it. And the great thing, I mean, technically, when you get into it, you know, all the tack marks are just little um, positions of where things, location points of where it used to go and all that kind of stuff. And it's really until you start using a laser, and I know the people hopefully listening that who use lasers, I know exactly what I'm talking about. And then really until you get into it and use one for at least a year, you do you not get your head around the possibilities, stuff that you can do with the thing. You know, it's amazing. I think we've talked about lasers in every episode so far of the Jewelers podcast. Are you getting jealous? I am getting jealous. Um, so what's, what's your most important tool in your workshop? The sad and boring one is probably the iPhone in my pocket. It gets, yeah, it gets punished all day. It's text messages to and from, photos to and from, customers, the Instagram, the Facebook, 
these young jewelers group that the amount of my work that directly involves that iPhone in my pocket is ridiculous like I've had the laser there for years but even it doesn't get as much use as the iPhone unfortunately I suppose that um yeah there's so many it's like having a little little computer in your pocket really isn't it you can you can look anything up you can calculate anything you can communicate with everybody um so it's a handmaker's um, promotional tool. If you're promoting handmakes, that's that's what you need. Phone. That's that's exactly right. I mean, I I am absolutely terrible with computers. I've never been interested in computers. I've never played computer games my whole life, um, which is why I've never been interested in CAD because I have no idea how to use a computer. But I know how to use my hands and handmake. And the only the, the iPhone has been my saving grace. I mean, it just because you can, you can do it, use it, and you can do all these things. You can take your photos. You can put it up on your social media. You can be on Facebook. Exactly like Harry said. It you know that's actually a really good point, Harry, because it's it so is a little advertising su- agency almost. Yeah, all that. Yeah, all that marketing. Like I know nothing. Like when I started, I knew how to make jewellery, but I had no idea about making a business. So you just like, well, if I open up this little shop, hopefully people will come. And mm. and marketing for one is just like, how do I throw money in the ocean? You have mm. <laughs> no idea mm. what, you, what you're doing. Yeah, but yeah. you invest just a little bit of time every day. It costs you nothing and the benefits just pour in. Actually, uh, talking about social media and marketing um i think both of you have been stung before with people stealing your images off of instagram um how moving forward how are you going to try and protect yourself from other people essentially stealing your intellectual property well basically you don't bother bother trying you know you've got to make a decision like either you can sit in your little box and not show anybody what you're doing or you can put it out there and get a bucket load of work from it and let the people, other people copy you and do whatever they want, and that's totally fine. But but at the end of the day, like, it's not going to affect the work that I'm doing in my one little shop in Canberra. So, mm. so you've just got to let go. I used to be very protective about everything that I did, and then I sort of bit the bullet and... Um, started Facebook and Instagram, then I got into YJG, and then you know, then I just sort of was like, all all the barriers went down. And I was just like, whatever, and it's just been the most enjoyable process. You know, I've met so many people, I've learnt a shitload from other jewelers and them showing stuff, asking questions. So yeah, so putting your stuff out there on social media, you know, you've just got to just decide to do it. Yeah, and other people can't back it up anyway. So even if they do steal it, they, you know. They're not going to be able to follow through. I haven't seen one of my unique pieces yet, um, at all. So, like, if they're being copied somewhere, then that's fine. I haven't, I haven't seen. Told them they're not allowed to wear it in camera. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it's you, Harry. You've been copying these pieces. Um, so you've had some of your images passed off as other people's before, have you not, Harry? Yeah, but it's not. As Lindsay was saying, they're not going to be able to make it anyway, full full stop, realistically. Um, good luck to them. And I get far more gain from putting the stuff up there, like Ben said. There's so much, even by me taking photos each day and pushing myself and make sure everything... I'm taking a little bit of extra care because I know it's been broadcast across the thing so it's pushing me to get better and better and if people want to knock it off who cares I've got more if I try and watermark and do all this stuff I'm going to spend 20 minutes on it's not going to happen like my Instagram thing is like four minutes at the end of the day I go they're four good photos pick stitch them together done clunk it's four minutes a day it's it's nothing if you're going to try and stop that it won't happen you go this is too hard I'm not going to bother and a lot of what you're promoting as well is yourself as a jeweller over your designs to a certain extent you're you're promoting the wear durability the the quality uh, the 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 jeweler's hallmarks yeah. so so the, if you, you your customers are coming to you for that over somebody else copying a design that yeah. you've had i don't Really, if someone is in Tehran where you've got like a couple of thousand followers or something making you things like, it's not going to make any difference 
to your yeah. business at all. Like Ben and I are here three or four K away from each other and we're not ripping each other off. And I, I really think it's, and you look at it and you go, you dodgy bastard, that's my picture. But you're not going to write the solicitor. You don't even take the time to fill out the thing on Instagram. Like, is this a copyright infringement? After two minutes, you're like, oh, why don't I start? Yeah. You just move on. I think the issue is not so much that somebody's going to be stealing your design and copying it. It's uh, I think we all know that somebody trying to copy your design is not going to ever come out with something the same quality. I think the the issue there is that people are passing off your quality and level of work as their own in order to market themselves. But as you said, Harry, if they're in Tehran, they're not really direct competition to you. And you'd like to think like, Ben was saying before about the type of people he's selling to, you'd like to think that your customers are intelligent, they're coming to you because they want good quality, they're not going to look at some Instagram page which is blatantly like 10 different sources of photos, different backgrounds, etc. with no consistency. Anyone looks at that, it's just going to go, well, it doesn't add up. They're going to, the people that we're selling to have half a brain in their head. Um, so I think they can figure it out themselves basically. And anyone who couldn't figure out is probably going to go and buy something cheap somewhere else anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, look, you know, if they're if they're putting stuff up on their own, if they're creating a page from images of all different jewellers to try and make themselves look good, then obviously they can't make the jewellery if they're doing that. So jewellers that are good at what they do and they're producing the jewellery, they take photos of it and they put it up, and the customers call them and they say, "Yeah, I can make that," but you know. The other, if the other person's trying to fake their way through it, customers going to catch on. You know, people are going to catch on and go, "This just doesn't seem right." And it's not going to turn out like that image of someone else's piece anyway. And it's, it's all. You know, how many times? You know, when you're making stuff for people, you know, they they sometimes pick up the piece and go, "It didn't look like what I expected." Can you imagine how badly that's going to go from somebody who's trying to rip off something using your image? trying to catch something that's handmade from what yeah it's it's all bad so really you just think you just think well have a go whatever who cares <laughs> yeah <laughs> pretty much <laughs> um talking about the socials do you, do you guys uh inspiration do you guys troll through other jewelers websites and instagram pages and decide that you know you like that combination of colors or that way of setting something and, and try and incorporate it or do you avoid that and come up with all your own unique fresh ideas every single time? Personally, yeah, I try not to look at other jewellery. Um, I try to kind of be in my own bubble in a way. I try not to get influenced by other pieces because it's exactly what happens as soon as you start to look at uh, a certain style and uh, examine it and check it out all the time, um, it comes out in your work whether you like it or not, you know. So I try not to do that and try and sort of stay a bit insular in my own little little bubble and that kind of that kind of works for me. I think it started off just being ignorant um, and not being on online at all and not being on computers and not being on social media and I sort of got my own style before I started getting into social media. So that's kind of cool because now I'm on social media. I'm seeing a lot of jewellery, um, but I'm still I've still already cemented my own style. So, yeah. Harry, uh, what's your take on that? Yeah, again, we're probably pretty time poor as well. Like, I'm busy making stuff all day. You'd have to spend a fair bit of time trawling through that. Like, I follow people on Instagram, that sort of thing, and it'll pop up um, like what they've liked, that sort of thing. I might have a bit of a look. I like seeing other other guys make stuff nice and neat and that sort of thing, and, and I'll admire that um, for sure. But as far as as style goes, no, I don't. It'd be a big investment in time that you probably don't have. <laughs> do you, Do you think it's more technique that you're looking at? So you're like, oh, they did it really good. I, I need to up my game. Or... Def, definitely, and you see that in that uh, young jewelers group a lot too. There'd be something that you've been doing for years, and you'll see just a different way and you go that that's so much such a better way of doing that thing mm. that i've and you've been doing it fine there's nothing wrong with it but you look at it yeah that's that's better <laughs> and it also um there's some guys on there that have got amazing skills and that sort of thing and i think that does push you a little bit more you go i can get i can get that neat i just need to 
take a little bit more time here and that sort of thing. And, and again, back to what I said before, you know you're putting it up there, your work too. So it pushes your work to another level because you're just um, trying to match it. So to say that I don't see other stuff would not be true because I do um, scan through it when I hop on the phone. Um, but it's more just to push myself more, I think, rather than... Um, I suppose it's still inspiring, yeah. It, I would say I was inspired by other people's work, but more technically. Strive for perfection that you always have. I, I got to say that, you know, I, I've looked at both of your photos quite a lot, and um, yeah, I haven't stolen a design yet. <laughs> um, but I can certainly, um, you know, that there's a couple of little things like Ben, the way that you, um, you form things. Um, that uh, I think you explained to somebody once that you know you you may grab a, a ribbon of of gold at either end and actually form it rather than putting it around a mandrel, but using leverage from the ends so that you don't get um, the plier marks or mandrel marks or hammer marks on the material. Um, and I guess you know that in itself is inspiring, and it's great to see that. Um, people within the trade are, are, are sharing things like that um but um is there somebody that uh either of you guys find um to be a real innovator in jewelry that uh really uh gives you inspiration to to do better to to do more work I mean, you can say nobody if you want, but... Um, look, I think, as Harry said before, there's definitely, like, a handful of jewels out there that just are the cleanest, just work so... Like, it's unbelievable how clean they work, and, yeah, that, that motivates me. Like, I, I'm probably not the best jeweller as far as working really clean and crisp. I have to work really hard to stay stay that, stay that um, clean and crisp, but... Um, you know, I'm more design focused, and sometimes I hurry through everything because I'm so enjoying the design process. So, so to see some work of some jewelers, how just they're everything so perfect, um, yeah, it does motivate you to try and try and stick to that. So, but look, I don't, as I said, it's not. I don't sort of follow a certain jeweler or other jewelers that I look to and aspire to and want to be like. Um, you know, I don't. I think when you want to try and be like somebody, then you sort of you get a bit confused along the way, I think. So So where, where do you get your inspiration from? Because your competition piece was called Balancing Act. Mm. So yeah. is that a concept that you got from nature, from art, from a book you saw? Not really. Um, it just getting a bar of metal, going to the rollers, just rolling, roll that flat. Roll the end square, roll a bit more flat. Yeah, that seems about right. Bend it. Okay, get another. I think that's enough. I'll put that down. Grab another bit. Go to the rollers. Roll that out. Cut that bit off, and then add that bit to that. So it's just, yeah. it's just kind of what feels right. And I've always um, really tried to to tap into into that. And then you know, so things just evolve without really overthinking it at all. Yeah. So it's like you said earlier that you don't really know what's going to come of it until you start playing around with the metal. Your your design process is that, playing around. That's exactly right because, I mean, like if you, if you try and plan something too much, then you're working to a plan rather than working to something that's just going to unfold as it happens. So, mm. so I've been lucky enough that, that has, that's worked for me and so I yeah. do, I really draw on that as much as I can. Yeah, we were talking about this on the way down to Canberra, how some people will draw real detailed, you know, engineered almost drawings and make it exactly to plan, to scale, etc. Mm. Mm. So it's interesting to be on the other scale, on the other end of the scale yeah. to that. That's right. Like a lot of the stuff I do, I, I can't draw. I can't draw it. You know, like customers will say to me, you're going to do a drawing of that. And I'm like, no, sorry, I can't draw it. Like, I'm going to make it. you just got to trust me. Yeah. And they're kind of like, oh, okay, cool. So so luckily that all works out. So, But I think, you know, like, 
um, we're, we're really lucky that we've got the retail space and we've got the stock and we've got a lot of pieces that I've made and you can show them plenty of examples yeah. and I say, look, it'll be kind of like these three put together and they're like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and where, where do you sit on the scale, Harry? I think um, listen to the customer first and foremost, but also similar to Ben is I don't do any drawings for the customer at all. I do very dodgy sketch you've probably seen some of them and then so that'll take a minute in front of the customer just to get the basic gist of things and then i can just tell them leave the rest to me my job's to make it look balanced so i can get those components together and if i say this is going to be here and this is going to be here probably about half the time once i actually put those bits together what i said is going to be slightly inaccurate so if i can leave myself a little bit more flexibility as i'm making it I think I can deliver a better finished product if I've got that bit of flexibility. I've got parameters I know it's got to sit next to a flat wedding band or it's got to be certain height and that sort of thing, etc. There's There's a list of do's and do nots involved with that yeah. job. As long as I keep them in mind, then I've just got to make it make it look beautiful. Problem fitting. Yeah, yeah, make make it look beautiful, get the essence of what the customer wants um, and keeping it balanced within those parameters. That that's that's exactly right. I think when you with the whole hand making um, process, you know things do change as you're making it. And exactly what Harry said, you know we when we, you know the drawings that we do do that I do do for customers, it's it's just a quick top view as a suggestion of what it's going to look like. The more detail you give them, the more problems you're going to have down the track because people <laughs> people do get really anal. You know um, people get very particular. They're spending a lot of money, and so they should. They want it a certain way, but if you give if you give them this detailed drawing after they've paid their deposit and they bring it back in with them when they pick up the ring and then all of a sudden they're examining everything and wondering why isn't that like this or why isn't that like that? Um, so yeah, you just want to give them that suggestion and, and then they pick up the piece and they're all excited. And it would take you too long too. Like You've still got to go through the same process if you're going to draw it, figure out all the balance, all those different thicknesses, widths, put it together. Like you got to it's going to take you a day to do, get the drawing just right. You've finished the ring in yeah. a day. If you sit down and make it, you're doing that for every customer. Like, the amount of time and money you're going to save is ridiculous. If you get it wrong one out of every 100 or 200 makes, you go, look, I totally got it wrong. Just put your hands up. Let's go again. You make it again, you're still so far ahead on time and customer satisfaction. Yeah, oh, look, I'd um, I'd have to say I agree with both of you. My drawing capabilities have always been similar to chicken scratchings, um, and making something in metal is it's three dimensional, and uh, it's definitely allows you to to really figure out how things are going to sit f far easier than doing it in two dimensions. Yeah, and you're forgers as well, so you know you you wouldn't be making plasticine models because that's no, not how no, you work that's no. not your talent not forgers as in you know the people on instagram <laughs> that are claiming other people's work as their own <laughs> let's talk about materials uh favorite material to work with ben definitely platinum yeah platinum's just the most forgiving metal that you can work with um it, it just does everything you want it to works really easily it melts really easily it fuses really easily it oh, it's just it's such a great metal you know and it it's a great metal in the workshop I've, a lot of people are a bit intimidated by it but when you when you get to know it and uh, it's it's a fantastic metal you know so many people are scared of it but i'd i'd much rather work in platinum all day than than say nine carat like Totally, yeah. Look, I think so. And there's a hell of a lot more people using it now. I mean, the market's driven people to have to learn how to use it. But like 15 years ago when I was using it, you know, it was like, there was just so much negativity about it, you know, and there was a lot of people in Canberra, Harry probably can, you know, um, say the same thing, other jewellers in Canberra who were very negative about it and, and didn't use it. So, like, it was a massive advantage to us, you know, um, because we're always using it and just loving it. Yeah, no, it's a great medal. 100% agree, the, the platinum hands down in just about every aspect. I don't, personally once you get the hang of it, I don't think it takes you any longer to fabricate. The, people say it takes extra time cleaning up, but 
they forget about the amount of time you save cleaning up because it never oxidizes um the biggest con for the platinum would be assembling multiple components uh, heat but once you have a laser that is null and void <laughs> um simple as that yep and um you know i, I guess included in favorite favorite materials to work with what about stones what's your favorite stone to work with i love diamonds they're friendly to me as a jeweler i direct <laughs> direct very many of them and they they are just so naturally beautiful after that it'd be and there's a rising popularity for these australian um from central queensland australian sapphires i think that there's a lot of opportunity for those stones in the market I think you must have listened to our last podcast, or if not, then you better listen to it because we do a little bit of talking about those. Uh, ben, what's your favourite uh, stones to work with? Uh, look, we work with, love working with everything basically, but um, you know, Australian coloured diamonds, you know, we're working with a fair bit now, um, pinks and yellows and browns and, and whites as well. So, I mean, I, I love working with a, a homegrown product. You know, I'll work with as much Australian gold as possible um, and Australian diamonds, Australian pearls, Australian sapphires, as much Australian stuff as possible we're working with. So, But you, you honestly can't go past, like, pink diamonds, Australian yellow diamonds. They're, just, they're, they're stunning, you know. And uh, I've, uh, there's a lot of uh, princess and pears in your work would you agree or yeah I mean no not at all we don't shy like I don't shy away from any shape you know like we I mean obviously when you do when you want to do different designs you go for different shapes you know so but I mean round is still by far the most popular the most popular shape that we'll do for sure but yeah any shapes I mean you know it gives you more ideas with design so yeah Uh, design wise is there anywhere where you would draw the line so if you have somebody walk in off the street and tell you that they want a one carat fvs one round in a six claw tiffany setting on a knife edge shank uh are you still going to take that job on and maybe grumble to yourself about it or are you going to try and sell them a different design or what are you going to do uh yeah look i mean uh, we do them all the time um it's it's like bread and butter you know you 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 do them all the time but but yeah absolutely i'll i'll say okay that's great and then i'll show them our versions of that and you know like you know half the time they'll go for our version uh and then half the time they'll go no she wants this i cannot get anything else <laughs> otherwise i'll get shot if i propose you something different yeah. and, and you go no worries night. mate that'll be <laughs> however many thousand dollars thanks very much see you later um you know and you and you just gotta do it i mean we've got we've got We've got the jewellers there, we've got the everything, and we just get it done, you know, oh, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you can't, you can't, um, you know, sort of tell the customer really what they want. You want to give them options, but you can't sort of, it's not your business at the end of the day. It's their engagement ring, it's their money, and they've come to you, and you've got to decide whether you want to make it for them or not, and just get on with it and do it. Harry, what about do you? Do you uh, just happily take that in, or do you do you try and sell them a different concept, or...? What's your take on it? Uh, basically, I just try and sell them my own version of it, make a few tweaks here that I think are design improvements that are going to make it practical um, and more elegant for them to wear and suit the stone. A lot of those poor buggers that go, I've got to get these, otherwise I'm going to die. The picture is like a two-and-a-half-carat round. <laughs> and he's like, i got six grand. You're like, well, it's going to look a little bit different. So you, you need to um, work with that. Like, those guys are in a world of pain. Yeah. And... Because you've got to keep, as we were saying before, keep the whole thing looking balanced. So you cannot take, it's just not going to work. So, yeah, you've got to work with it. But like Ben said, you can't slap it in the face. You're going to sell God knows how many six-claw round brewing cup platinum knife-edge bands. And it's that's money for jam. Yeah. Um, just going back to, I, I think we were discussing before about favourite tools. Um, just remembered a question I was going to ask. What's on your wish list? What is your next favourite tool purchase, the one thing that you're looking forward to getting, or even if it hasn't been made yet, what's what's your idea of something that's going to really help you out in the workshop? I I can see that you're looking out there at Rowan, Ben. (laughs) Well, um, that's actually um, been, has materialised recently for me. I bought the Lindsay Palm Control hand engraver. So, um, I mean, I've been wanting to learn engraving for ages, um, so yeah, I've bought that, and it's just 
it's magical. It's it's a really really amazing tool. I, you know, along with the laser, it's it's the nicest tool I've ever used. You know, it's it's amazing what this thing does, and I can see the attraction and why there is so much interest in it. So I bit the bullet and went for it, and um, you know. I've actually got to take it home and when the kids are gone to bed, I'm going to sit at the desk and actually do it. Um, but I think I have to get a second ball vice to take home because we're using the one here and I'm going to take the other one there. So, yeah, it's all it's, it's just going to be that battle of um, practising, um, getting the time to practise to do it. But, yeah, I'm really looking forward to incorporating, you know, engraving work. And, again, I have no idea what type of engraving I'm going to do. I'm just going to, just going to get into it and see what happens. But, yeah. I think that goes well with what my next question was going to be, which is what what's a another skill that you'd like to learn so obviously i'm guessing engraving is is going hand engraving is going to be the the new skill you want to learn absolutely hand engraving um i think it just makes complete sense you know um learning to engrave you know only helps your setting as well and incorporating setting with the engraving and all these type of things all go hand in hand um so yeah i think that's just going to make for more interesting pieces for sure and more basically be able to sell more hours to your customer at the end of the day um and then you know enameling would be another thing um, i think we mentioned before when the boys just sat on the kiln in there um yeah we've got a we've got a kiln in there um that's again it's a pipe dream you know um it's we've talked about it um, fold forming is another one that we've talked about and i've, I've done the fold forming course but Fitting it into um, all the work that we have to do is a hard thing. But, yeah, all these things, they'll, they'll happen eventually. Maybe when I retire, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Harry, what's on, what's on your wish list tool-wise or supplies-wise? I'd like to set up a hydrogen torch to work with. Um, a few people I've spoken to have highly recommended it for wow, platinum work. scary. And I think it would be... I think it would complement my work a lot and I think it would get a lot out of it. So that's just a matter of getting organised and doing it really. I guess there's no more running down a BOC for a bottle of gas. If you if you get one of those, don't they generate their own gas through electrolysis? Oh, no, I think still getting bottled hydrogen. Uh, not like a... Not one of those units that separates the... Okay. Yeah, I'd still get the bottled hydrogen, just need to get the crucibles and the, and the torch set up properly. He wants to melt his own platinum. Essentially. Alloy, alloy his own platinum. Yeah. Fair enough. So, as a novice, what's a hydrogen torch? It sounds extreme. <laughs> uh, basically, instead of using LPG or propane, you mix with the oxygen, you're using hydrogen, which has a lot higher melting temperature. So, yeah. Big flame. Well, little flame. You can, <laughs> you can generate a lot more heat using a lot less oxygen, basically, okay. so you're not going to be contaminating the metal. It's not going to be oxidising anywhere near as much and you'll be able to achieve the heat that you need. And burning hydrogen only produces water vapour, so you're not uh, breathing in any carcinogenic hydrocarbon fumes oh, or right, anything sure. like that. Yeah. That'll be my selling point when I try and you know, convince my other half to let me spend the money on something like that for myself. So when I got a grinder... I was nervous about using that. Do you ever... Do you mean the app on your phone or do you mean... Oh, <laughs> easy, easy. <laughs> um, so did you ever get nervous about using hydrogen torches or or, or it, it, you've just been doing it so long that... I mean, we've all seen what this. happened to the Hindenburg. <laughs> but the, I think it's like anything else we work with. You've got to keep learning and pushing and if you're... I suppose, I mean, if, if you've got an Oxy and LPG set up, it's still explosive anyway, so... Yeah, that's right. I don't think, Jules, I don't think, Jill, I don't think we, we work with very dangerous tools. I think, you know, I mean, like, electric rollers are probably pretty dangerous. Yeah, the polishing wheel's probably pretty dangerous, but, I mean, builders and sort of machinists, and they they work with sort of... Yeah. I mean, you know, there's... I think it's where, like, ha- you know, we've yeah. got little hammers and little files and a saw frame. I don't, I don't think... There's anything to be too scary of. I think it's more the materials and gems and stuff like working on stones that are worth a, a lot of money, you know, when you're setting it or, you know, think, things like that. I mean, I think that's probably a bit more scary than um, yourself, hurting yourself. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, because then yeah, you can lose lives in construction mm, and stuff. Absolutely. You have to be very careful. Absolutely. I guess yeah. Yeah. The, a big risk in jewellery is maybe losing a... Tip of your finger or something. Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, 
there's there's I'm sure have have either of you got any stories about any work related injuries <laughs> that uh, you know are gonna keep our listeners entertained? Nothing I'm, nothing too serious. Like there's always plenty of bloody tails and that sort of thing. But She'll be right. Yeah, that's right. Nothing that hasn't healed within a couple of months. Yeah. Anybody do the super glue trick? You know, you cut your finger open with the fret saw and you just super glue your finger. Yeah. Oh, there we go. We've got a hand coming up in the background. That's Rowan Thin Smith over there. What do you guys like to, to do? Uh, music-wise in the workshop. I know some if, people... If you're not listening to the Jewelers podcast, of course. Of course, if you're not listening to... Uh, <laughs> on repeat. <laughs> on, on repeat, 24-7. Uh, mostly I just have uh, recently turned old man and changed to double J from triple J. Um, it happens to the best of us. So I can't... Triple J sucks. I can't stand any advertisements, so I won't listen to any other radio basically because of that reason and i like the variety even with um your own playlists and spotify etc i find it still takes me time going back and forward to the phone keeping playlists going etc um so mostly it'll just be double j ticking away in the background then when the guys will go home later in the thing i might just put on some nice like electronic music something like that i like stuff that's just got nice beats or i can concentrate on I'm doing the work. I find lyrics, I get a bit distracted and that sort of thing. So just some nice electronic music. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Turn it up and go from there. Ben, what do you, what do you like to do in the workshop? Uh, live music is probably one of our favourite sort of music to listen to. We love Dave Matthews and Tim Reynolds live in Luther College. That's If anyone out there knows that album, they'll know it is such an awesome album. Um, but, you know, we listen, listen to everything, you know, old school stuff like Stevie Wonder and, you know, e- everything. We've got a whole a whole array because we've got all different people in the workshop, so we've got to keep everyone happy. But, yeah, music's on all day, every day, all different stuff. So, so yeah. it Sounds like feel-good music that you're into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We d- nothing that's going to put us to sleep. Nothing's going to put us to sleep. We need, we, it's a pretty rowdy, rowdy, outrageous workshop, so it gets a bit crazy in there. So, yeah, loud music's good. So thank you very much, Ben and Harry, for having a chat with us. That is Handmakers Gonna Make uh, and how to promote. Thank you, Ben. Thank you very much for having us. Thanks for coming to Canberra. Hope it's not too cold for you. (laughs) Yeah, it's not too bad. I forgot my coat. Harry told me a few times, bring a coat, and then I left it in the car. Such a wally. But thanks, Harry. Thanks for coming down. Appreciate that. Not a problem at all. My pleasure. And uh, thanks to Neil for coming down to co-host with me. Oh, Third time's the charm, isn't it? Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, we are on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook uh, and iTunes. And you can also find us on Wishka, which is a podcast provider. Uh, all the links to this will be on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. So just go seek us out, the Jewelers podcast. And uh, we'll see you next month. <laughs>